McMillan, and this is the best class ever. My name is Sean Jong-Jusong McMillan, and this is the best class. Today, we will return to an idea presented earlier two weeks ago in a lesson titled The Truth of Myth, in which we presented the idea that nonfiction presents truth objectively, but that fiction and mythology, though not objectively true, present a subjective truth that often feels even more deeply accurate than true stories. To do so, we will dive deeply into the story of the popular book and film called Life of Pi. Spoiler alert. The reason I love Life of Pi is it really gets to the heart of a critical question I faced when I studied animation. And the question was this, why are we so willing to suspend our disbelief in films completely filled with implausible contents and built on impossible premises? Films with talking animals, for example, we know that animals cannot talk. So how are we able to empathize so deeply with the characters in Zootopia? We know humans cannot fly, yet we all love the Avengers. Dragons, wizards, and aliens don't exist, and maybe they never will. Yet our ancestors have been telling stories about them since the dawn of time. Spoiler alert. If you have not watched or read Life of Pi, then I have to warn you, this could spoil what would have otherwise have been a really great puzzle. Listening to me break it down means you will miss the chance to try and figure it out for yourself. But even if you know what is going to happen before it does, it is still a very enjoyable film. It is my firm belief that you cannot really spoil a great film because knowing the plot does not really take away from the emotional experience. If it did, then none of us would ever watch a film twice. And so many of us love to watch our favorite films again and again, even if we already know what will happen. So here is a synopsis of the life of Pi. There are three main parts to the story. In the first part, Pi, a young Indian boy who loves religion, grows up in a family that owns a zoo. Pi takes care of and befriends some of the animals in the zoo, including a female orangutan named Orange Juice and a far more dangerous animal, the tiger named Richard Parker. He also feels a lot of pressure from his father who runs the zoo and questions Pi's commitment to these various different religions. Circumstances then force his family to transport all of their zoo animals to North America on a Japanese cargo boat. While at sea, Pi meets an extremely rude, brutish sailor from France and a happy Buddhist who offers some help to his family after they are treated offensively by the sailor. While transporting the animals across the ocean, the Japanese cargo boat gets shipwrecked. Pi loses his family and gets stranded onto a lifeboat with some strangely familiar yet primitive survivors. Pi is not alone. He brings the female orangutan orange juice on board, as well as an injured and slowly dying zebra. He also has a dangerous hyena on board, which threatens to eat the zebra. After it is attacked by orange juice, the hyena then fatally wounds the orangutan. But the carnage does not end there, because Pi has one more guest who has been hiding deep inside the lifeboat. Just before the hyena can fight to the death with Pi, the tiger, Richard Parker, then strikes out and kills the hyena. The remainder of the story deals mostly with Pi learning how to survive this perilous journey on a boat together with a deadly tiger. 
He has to simultaneously learn how to survive on very little resources, and he has to learn how to train Richard Parker, the tiger. He comes very close to being killed. He comes very close to dying of starvation and dehydration. At one point, he says he cannot tell the difference between when he is awake and when he is dreaming or hallucinating. At the point of starvation, and perhaps even madness, he and Richard Parker find a mysterious paradise island with no human inhabitants. There they are able to eat and drink fresh water. As he is eating, he discovers a human tooth buried into some strange fruit on the island. Out of fear that the island itself will eat them, he and Richard Parker abandon this deadly paradise and return to the sea. There's this really great shot when they are leaving the island. Did you notice anything weird about the island's shape or silhouette? If you look back at the island when they are leaving, it is shaped like a dead corpse lying on its back. Eventually, Pi washes up on shore and returns to civilization. The tiger escapes into the jungle. The story could end right there, and I don't think anyone would complain. The movie has some implausible elements for sure, but because the acting and the effects are so good, it's hard not to get swept up in the story, no matter how implausible living on a lifeboat with a tiger might seem. It already feels more realistic than watching any of Disney's recent live action films. But then the movie surprises you. While Pai is in the hospital recovering, he is visited by two Japanese men who work for the cargo boat's insurance company. They interview him wanting to know what happened to the ship. But Pai's story sounds just far too implausible to them. They feel for him and they like his story, but they beg him to tell a story they won't feel embarrassed to present to their superiors. Pai warns them that this is the better story, but then proceeds to tell them an objective, factual, non-fiction version of the story. He tells them that in fact, it was his own mother, the happy Buddhist, and the sailor who ended up stranded on the lifeboat. The happy Buddhist was fatally injured. The brutish French sailor made a modest proposal that the sailor, Pai, and his mother eat the Buddhist in order to survive. The mother was appalled and attacked the sailor. The sailor overreacted and then fatally struck Pai's mother. Pai was so shocked at seeing his mother get attacked that he himself struck the sailor down and killed him. So just in case you don't see the connection between the two stories, they are in fact the same story, but one of them has an additional character. The dying zebra from the first version of the story is a parable for the happy Buddhist in the second version of the story. Orange juice, the female orangutan, is a parable representation of Pai's mother. The hyena is the French sailor. Pai himself is in both versions of the story, but there is one more animal in the first version and no other characters in the second version. So who does Richard Parker, the tiger, represent? The tiger represents the killer within Pai himself that took the life of the sailor. Pai says about Richard Parker that they were both raised by the same monster, lamenting the difficult way that his father taught him such harsh life lessons. Pai was naive, thinking of himself as only a young, innocent boy who loved religion. 
He didn't know to what extremes he would go to to survive. On one hand, he thinks of himself as a devout, young, vegetarian, faithful to more than one religion. Yet somehow he has to face up to the contradiction that he is also a monster with a murderous instinct for survival. One of my students even said that the island itself could be a parable for Pai's cannibalism. This would be too much for any more civilized person to handle. So perhaps dividing himself into two characters was Pai's way of coping with his own potential for animalistic evil. The second version of the story is far more grim and it's more realistic. It is cold, violent, and abhorrent, yet factual retelling. The Japanese investigators have to then decide which is the better story. The subjectively mythological fiction told through the parables of people as animals or the objective version filled with violence. Everybody likes the first version better. It makes for a greater movie. Even the Japanese insurance men choose to report the first version despite how it might threaten their credibility. In the beginning of the movie, an atheist agrees to listen to this story because he has promised that it will make him believe in God. At the end, there is a great line that Pai says to the atheist after telling him both versions of the story. He asks him, which is the better story? The atheist agrees that the first version is better. And Pai responds, and so it is with God. What do you think Pai meant by this statement? If we look at the Bible or religion more broadly, it's hard to believe in these tales of gods, demigods, human beings, and beasts all interacting with each other. Why tell the story so overdramatically? Isn't this what makes it so difficult for rational people to have faith in God? But what if a story like Adam and Eve, with its talking snake and strangely powerful forbidden fruit in a garden of paradise, what if it's just a parable for a much more realistic and relatable event in human history? If the biblical version is more like the first telling of Pi's story, what would a more realistic, cold, objective telling of Adam and Eve's story look like? The Bible tells its stories this way, for the same reason that everyone agrees the first version of Pi's story is the better story. It's mysteriously fantastic. And by that I mean, full of fantasy and epic imagery. It may seem far more epic than each of our own lives, but its tragedy makes it just human enough that any of us could relate to it. In reality, Adam and Eve may just be the story of two adolescents with some potential to be special, trying to live up to the expectations placed on them by a benevolent father figure. They gave up his protection for a moment's temptation which now leaves them exposed to the cruelties of nature. Has not every one of us at some point in our lives felt the shame of our shortcomings? Adam and Eve is the tragic origin story of humanity. But really, it is my life and yours. But if our story has yet to be written and the ending is determined by our choices, perhaps our lives still have the potential to become epics about the redemption of humanity. Because though the Bible starts with tragedy, it doesn't end with it. Throughout the Bible, in the story of Life of Pi, 
And in the last books of the Bible, Revelations, we find monsters in the form of serpents, tigers, and dragons. If we have it within ourselves to face these evils and overcome them, perhaps we can aspire to restore humanity as each of us becomes the hero of our own epic. Present a subjective truth that often feels even more deeply accurate than true stories. To do so, That's we it will for today's deeply. lesson. Be sure to return for the next lesson when we will explore game theory, the study of how to find the ultimate strategy in a competitive environment. If you would like to read a transcript for this lesson, see any of the previous lessons, or subscribe to the Best Class Ever podcast, you can find all of this and more at www.bestclassever.org. My name is Sean Jong-Ju Song McMillan, and this is the Best Class.